Well, my guess is in your lifetime, you've, you've been in some disagreements. You, you've kind of maybe even got to the point of, let's go out to the parking lot. This is, you know, it's gone too far. I don't know. But I know, I know in our families, and our friend groups, sometimes we have disagreements and we don't see eye to eye on everything. And, and there have been moments I know in our, in our family where we've just decided, you know, we're not going to talk about certain things. Holidays come and, and we want to gather around the table and just have some fun and great memories. So we don't talk ever about how the Cowboys almost made it to the Super Bowl. We don't talk about that. We, uh, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about gun control. I mean, we, we just kind of keep it real, real light and airy because we, we just want to have a good time together. And it's kind of the same way in, in church families as well. We, we sometimes uh, disagree about some things. We, we don't always see eye to eye on every single thing because guess what? There's a lot of different personalities in this room. A lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different stories, a lot of different places that we've all come from. While we all love Jesus, can I get an amen? We love Jesus, we might see things a little bit differently and so there might be some discussion, some disagreements that come along at at times. I did some research online and I found um, uh, this list of, someone had put together a list of the top 25, we won't do all of them, but the top 25 weird kind of disagreements that churches have had. They've found these using social media um, postings and so forth, and they kind of pulled them together in one. And I, just four or five of them real quickly, and I apologize to Kyle for service, but one, one, of the, one of the disagreements was how long the, the worship minister's beard should be. I mean... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure that's a big deal, but that, that was one of them. Or, or even whether or not he should wear shoes on stage or not. That was a disagreement. Uh, another one was uh, which picture of Jesus should go out in the commons. And personally, I'd love to know who took the picture of Jesus that we should put out there. That, that'd be interesting <laughs> to see. Uh, and then the last one was uh, somebody was kind of over the coffee bar area. And so they brought in some vanilla flavoring that had a certain color and it was in a certain bottle. And someone thought that it looked too much like liquor, so maybe it shouldn't be out there at the coffee bar area. (laughs) There's a lot of different disagreements that we have had uh, along the way, but you know, as one church with different personalities, church, we celebrate one incredibly beautiful Savior. And it's in Him that we find our life and our being and everything about us. We, we had a great weekend here at the men's conference Friday night and then Saturday. This room uh, had a whole bunch of men in it that were just celebrating Jesus, uh, who lifted their voices in unison to God in song. And we dug into scripture. We were challenged by Colin and Paul both as we were, were made aware of who we should be in Christ and, and the direction we need to be going as men of, of God. This month is an exciting month, April. Here we are, the first Sunday of April already. It's kind of, uh, wow, it's already here kind of thing. But, you know, Easter is one of those holidays that occur um, when, when the world celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all the data shows that right now, if uh, you've got a circle of influence, friends, uh, coworkers, et cetera, neighbors who don't have a church home, they're very open to being invited uh, to a church service on a Sunday morning. So, 
I want to encourage you to think about people in your life that you might invite here on, on Easter morning, which is the 17th. We've got some really neat looking in, uh, invite cards. They're at both doors. Uh, grab a handful of those and pass those out to your coworkers, your friends, your family that might be looking for a church home. And we hope that if they come on Easter that we could entice them to check us out in, uh, in weeks to come as well. We'd love to have them as part of our, our time here on Sunday. Uh, equally, this is an exciting month. I mean, everybody get your hands up. I want all 10, 10 digits exposed. Everybody, everybody gets to participate. Don't be shy. I know this is Church of Christ, but it's okay. You can put, it's okay. Uh, this month, we celebrate 10 years, our 10-year anniversary right here in this building as Crosspoint. You know, God has done some incredible things on our journey to this place 10 years ago. He's done some incredible things for us and with us right now and will continue to do incredible things with us in the future. As long as our desire is to elevate his name, to magnify him, uh, the Spirit is going to do great things with this body of believers. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. We're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 4 as we finish up our series called Messy Today, because Paul is writing this letter to a church that has a little bit of disagreement going on, as most churches do. No church is a utopian uh, group of people. No church has it all together, because uh, it's full of human beings just like me and you, and he wants to address some of that going on. Uh, this chapter has been used in lots of different ways. Uh, they've uh, highlighted uh, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a great verse, a great idea to, to move uh, through our life and to, to realize. Uh, some folks have really focused on verses 6, 7, and 8. Don't be anxious about anything, but put your minds on things that are trustworthy, noble, great. But we haven't focused a lot, I don't think, on the first five verses where Paul really tells us what a healthy church really looks like. Well, what does it mean to be a body of believers in the community in which you live where those that are outside looking in think, man, I want to be a part of that. I, I, I want to be on board with what's going on with that group of people. They love each other. They want to hang out together. They help each other. They're full of grace and mercy. What does that kind of church really look like? And so as we dig into this letter, which Paul wrote in about 62 AD from a prison cell, uh, but the church in Philippi was established about 10 years before that in 52 AD. We see that story come to light in Acts chapter 16 when Paul visits Philippi and he finds um, worshipers, a bunch of women at the river. They're not in town, they're at the river, and that's the launching of the church there in Philippi. So let's dig into our text this morning just to discover how we're called to be as a church, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now, I appeal to you, Odia and Syntyche. Aren't you glad we have names that we can pronounce? It's kind of nice. I appeal to these two ladies, be, please, because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. And I ask you for my true partner to help these two women, for they have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. 
Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. I think in these few verses, we can kind of unpack five major ideas of what a healthy church actually really does look like. And the first idea is that a healthy church really has a big heart. It shares love with each other full of inclusion and and wanting to have everyone really supporting one another. You look at verse 1, and Paul Paul piles on all the different terms of endearment. He uses the word dear. He says, man, I long to see you. I want to see you. He says, you are my joy and crown. And so by affirming the church there in verse 1, he's setting the example of what this looks like. While we may not see eye to eye on everything, I want you to know that I love you. You're important to me. And then he calls them brothers and sisters, which subtly reminds them that God also loves them. I love you and God loves you because you're part of this spiritual family. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, I love you. And he, he wants them to know the affinity they have for one another. And according to Jesus, the mark of the church is this idea of love, overarching love. It's more than just orthodoxy, more than just holiness, although those things are incredibly important to our spiritual walk. What we know is overall, love is the most important thing. And Jesus reminds us as we live in the world in which we find ourselves that the world is looking at us, seeing if we're living hypocritically or are we living out how God's called us to live in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells the disciples, his followers in that upper room, John chapter 13, he says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. They're watching. Is what you say for real? Are real serious about how you follow Jesus? Because it's certainly hard to preach the love of God when you don't practice the love of God. It's easy for the world to do, but not what we're called to do as people who are in love with Jesus Christ. And the world is out there saying, I need you as the church to prove that there is a God. Because what I think is that you believe in something that doesn't exist as a crutch to get you through difficult times in your life. That's what the world says. But by loving one another, church, we make an invisible God very visible. We want to have that kind of love for one another. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 4, And verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You see, Paul has that big heart. He he ends up saying, you are my longed for family. That's what he's telling the Philippians. He has known them for about 10 years. He's been absent for about five years and he's writing this letter of affinity while he's sitting in a prison cell. He wants to be with them in Philippi. He loves them that much. I remember when I went to basic training with the Air Force in San Antonio, Texas, January 1989. And I remember getting off that bus and I, for whatever reason, chose to wear my snakeskin boots that day. 
and it was over the minute I got off the bus. <laughs> the, drill instruction, the drill instructor came over and just really lit into me, and, and then I was just a highlight for him the rest of the time there. It was great. <laughs> but I remember about two weeks into our, our time there, we had been drilled, and our heads had been shaved, and we'd been yelled at, and I mean, the list goes on. Our first patio break is what they call it. So the first time that you get to go downstairs outside the dorm and you can have a, a candy bar and you can have a Coke and you can call home for the first time. And I remember everyone was scrambling to get the goodies and I went for the payphone when it was my turn. I was going to call mom. I needed some inspiring words. And I remember when I, I, picked, when I picked the phone up, dialed the number, and she answered on the other end, hello, I started crying like a baby. So bad, I couldn't even speak. <laughs> Literally, it was bad news. And the guy behind me said, your time is up. I had to hang the phone up without even talking to my mom. It was bad. I longed to be home where people loved me, because I guarantee in San Antonio, nobody loved me there. I guarantee that. Part of Paul's joy is that he was wrapped up in them. He calls them his crown. And in the original language, that word is the word used for that laurel wreath that the winner of the race gets on their head, like at the Olympic Games. And Paul's saying, Church, you're my reward. You're special. I love you. I want to be near you. A healthy church has a big heart, full of love. But a healthy church also has a firm stance in the gospel message that they're sharing about who Jesus truly is. You take a look at verse 1 again, and he says, Stay true to the Lord. Paul is asking them to take a stand on how God's called them to live in Jesus Christ and help heal the division that's occurred in the congregation. You see, a church is a place of deep convictions, you can be in any committee meeting in any church and you can hear all the ideas coming out on the table. But Paul here says, stay true. And this idea of, of standing firm, I'm not moving from what I believe to be true. That gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came and gave his life for me, but on the third day there was an empty tomb. Amen. That's, the, that's what we're called to live out each and every day. And I find it interesting in the New Testament that about 14 different times we're called as Christians to stand firm. And it kind of gives this undertow that maybe, maybe for some of us, if there's a little bit of pressure, we tend to run or hide or camouflage who we're with and what we're doing. And Paul, Paul reminds us to stand firm. And as he reaches out to the church in Corinth, he says in chapter 15 and verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was messed up. It had a lot of crazy things going on in that church. But Paul also knew that at the end of the day, they stood firm on the gospel message that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. In all chapter 15, Paul, Paul goes through and kind of spells out what that gospel message truly looks like, what it really is. And when we don't look like Jesus as we interact with one another as a body of believers, then it creates 
this spiritual instability that ends up leading to doubt and discouragement. And as the world looks on at us, they're wanting to know, is what you preach true? Is the way you've called us to live too with you, is it true? We need to have the kind of stance in our spiritual walk and as a body of believers that we stand firm on the message that Paul is reminding us of here that the idea is I'm following Jesus no matter what is going on around me. A great church has a big heart. It stands firm, but it also has this warm embrace for people walking in the door. You take a look at verses 2 and 3. Two ladies are mentioned here by name. It is the only place that they are mentioned. We have no idea what the argument was about. And it's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. But we also know that the disagreement was creating this kind of polarized space within the church. And Paul is wanting to heal that. We also recognize that... These were probably prominent women in the church. We get that from verse 3 by looking at it where Paul says, they labored with me in the gospel. My gut is that these two ladies were part of the group that he met at the river in, in Acts chapter 16. They were probably founders of the church in Philippi. They started that group. But again, this is the only place these two ladies are mentioned, and it's, it's mentioned in a negative light. Matter of fact, the story has been retold for some 2,000 years. Wouldn't you love to be on the end of that story? <laughs> Let's pretend for a minute you were mentioned in a historical or a church document, let's say 100 years down the road. How would you want to be remembered? Someone that is full of grace and mercy, someone who is pulling Jesus up high for all to see, or... The one who is always cantankerous and not happy that they weren't getting their way. And Paul says, look, the solution is actually in verses 2 and 4. It's because you belong to the Lord. And that's a different approach to life. It's saying, like, I'm not in it to get my way. I'm not trying to win. But I belong to the Lord, so I think about things differently than the world does. And Paul wants to point us back all the way to two weeks ago in chapter 2 when he reminds us, consider other people more important than yourself. That's the way Jesus lived, and that's his disciples, how we're called to live. Paul is calling us into this idea of unity, not uniformity, because we're not lockstep. We're different people with different talents and giftedness. But that we have this unified spirit, this one voice that raises Jesus high above everything else in life. We belong to each other. So unity among Christians proves truthfulness in that Christian message. As the world looks on, when we are unified in, not, not me, but Jesus, when that is our, our mantra, that is what the world gets to see, although we're all different people. When I was in the 7th and 8th grade, I lived in Glenwood, Arkansas. My dad was a preacher there, population 1,200 And I remember that was the moment in time when I decided I'm going to try playing football and I'm going to try the school band. Now, grades 7 through 12 were in the same building. That's how small the group was. I think there were maybe 33 people in my class. 
But I remember as I started the band, we were purple and white. I didn't choose those colors. They don't ask the seventh graders, but anyway. And I tried an instrument. So they gave me the French horn to play. And there was a moment in time, weeks into practice, where I finally got the horn to make a noise. But I couldn't do notes to save my life. And finally, they said, you know what, Tim, let's put the French horn aside. Let's move you to percussion. There is a picture, my, either my dad or my mom have it. I've seen it. I don't know where it is. But I'm in a homecoming parade on Main Street, my purple and white. I'm in the percussion section, and the instrument I ended up with was the shakers. <laughs> and during marching season, I could, I could do those shakers, let me tell you. During concert season, the triangle, I had one note. Ding! That was it. But you know, every instrument has a different uh, sound and a different role to play in the band. But eventually, on Friday night at football games, man, we sounded pretty good. It was because we had a band director. We had a drum major. We had somebody who was leading us. And that beautiful music happened out of all of those different instruments and tones. And church, as people of God, as people who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, our leader is Jesus Christ. And it's in him that we take our direction and how we make music and how we use our giftedness and talents for his glory. That's how we're called to live out that joyful celebration of all the different giftedness that's in the body of Christ, which leads us to the next idea that Paul presents to us. A healthy church also has a joyful soul. You take a look at verse 4, and Paul is writing this from prison, but he just gets happier and happier as he marches through uh, this letter. He says, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. It's an exciting thing to be found in Christ Jesus. However, I will say it is hard sometimes to rejoice because of what life throws our way, isn't it? Stories from our congregation right here. These aren't, these aren't out and abroad. This is us. Sometimes it's hard when you give birth and a few hours later, later your baby dies. That's hard. It's hard when... When your husband is taken from you unexpectedly, it's hard. It's hard when the, the divorce gets nasty and, and not pretty and it's getting very public and people are looking down on you because of rumors. It's hard to rejoice in moments like that. It's hard when you hear, hey, we've conquered the cancer only a few weeks later to discover it simply moved to a different part of your body, and now we have to go through everything all over again. It's hard when you find yourself continually checking yourself into the hospital because they can't get rid of the infection that's hovering right here in the middle of your body. It's hard to rejoice when you've brought your children up in Bible school and worship and context of church to, to when they become adults, they walk away from Jesus and the church, and you have to ask yourself, what did I do wrong? It's hard sometimes to rejoice. Paul's word here in chapter 4, though, tells me that, you see, deciding to be the kind of person that's full of joy is a choice. It's not a feeling. 
And because you and I are found in Christ Jesus, at the end of the day, what he's done for me, what he's done for you, has given us every reason to rejoice, church. It's in him that we have happiness and joy. You see, joy is an outlook based on uplook. Our joy that we carry with us, in different words, is life is tough, but God is good. And Paul testified to that very idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he kind of has this laundry list of all the things that he's had to gone through because he's following Christ. He was shipwrecked. He had no clothes. He was starving. He was beaten and left for dead. He was stoned outside. I mean, the, the, the list goes on of all the things that he worked through, but he still had joy in his life. Even this particular letter, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 16, when he's establishing this church, he ends up being arrested, he is publicly beaten, and then put in the stocks in the prison with his missionary partner. In the middle of the night, they're bleeding, they're tired, and they feel alone, but they are singing in the jail, jail, jail cell because they have joy in Christ Jesus. They had what the writer of Proverbs says in verse 15 In uh, chapter 15, verse 15, for the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. You see, a healthy church also has this soft touch. And when you look at verse 5 in our text, Paul says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. The idea is you have this this graceful, gentle, diplomatic spirit about you that makes all the difference in the world because the world doesn't operate like that. And the world is looking at us to see if we're going to act a lot like Jesus. The person that has that kind of spirit about them has a huge bucket of mercy, and they're not stingy about handing it out. They want everyone to know that they are loved and appreciated and cared for, and Christ did die for them. And some of us have been at this Christian walk for quite some time, years, some of us decades. And we end up over time sometimes becoming short and snobby with new followers who bring new ideas and new new ideas and new different things to the body. And sometimes we have to remember that we were not always as cool as we are right now. There was a time when we were new as well, and we were longing for someone to offer that mercy and that grace and that arm around a shoulder and the tender love that Jesus encourages us to have. And I know some of us battle with anger issues. Some of us would would say maybe we were born with a critical spirit. Maybe some of us are, are carrying around something that somebody did to us way back when, But I want to encourage you to think about become famous for being a gentle spirit. Become famous for being someone who is offering mercy and love and forgiveness. What a blessing that document would be in a hundred years if they said you were someone who looked a whole lot like Jesus. You know, we started out our time together this morning talking about if a church lives, it's because the church is alive, but if a church withers, it's the personality of the people in the church. And I'd like to say a word to some of you who have been hurt by the church. 
And some of you may be right here in this room. Some of you may be joining us online. Because for whatever reason, you have found it difficult in following Jesus as a single person to have a voice. You feel like you've been kicked to the curb. You've kind of been ostracized. Maybe maybe some of you have gone through uh, that very public and painful divorce. And people believe that you have leprosy or something. They've kind of pushed you to the side. You can no longer be in ministry. Maybe, maybe some of you have been, been hurt because you, you did something one weekend. It was a poor choice. But it was 18 years ago, and no one's letting you live that down. They've got questions about you and your character and the spirit with which you carry yourself. Or maybe you just look different than the people you go to church with. Maybe you dress a little different. Maybe your hair is different. Maybe you're tatted up or you've got some piercings. I don't know. And you feel like those folks who are part of a congregation look down on you because of some life choices that you've made. And I want to say this morning from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. Because that's not what the church should be about or is about. The church is a hospital for all of us. It's a place of refuge. It's a family. But for those of you who have been hurt along the way, I want to offer this as well. Because Jesus never said, follow my church. Jesus never said, follow the pastor. Jesus never said, follow people. Jesus said, follow me. And that's the encouragement I want to give you today is in this family of believers, if someone has hurt you, it's time to let that go and lean into who Jesus has called you to be. You see, all of us want that peace that passes all understanding. All of us want to feel that love. We want to feel the burden of guilt released from our shoulders. And it's only Jesus Christ who can give you all of that. It's only in Jesus that you're ever going to find the life that you so desperately want. Nothing else in the world will give that to you. And there's some of us here this morning, or maybe you're joining us online and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You should change that today. You will have a better life today. Will all your problems go away? No, but according to Paul, we can rejoice every day no matter what's going on in our life because of Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we're going to find the idea that we have been reclaimed and loved again. Maybe some of us in here have made that choice somewhere down the road, but things have happened in your life that's created some anxious points and you're not sure. And so as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing the song, I would encourage you to get out of your seat. Go find one of those couples and let them pray for you and over you. Let them remind you that you have a God that loves you beyond measure. That he wants the very best for you. We are a family. We don't have it all together, but that's okay because Jesus has it together for us. And so as one family, one voice, let's stand and praise his holy name for all he's done for us.